1: Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Tottenham. Tottenham have their fourth summer signing of the summer done and dusted with Richarlison joining from Everton in a big money deal. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you?
0: I'm I'm good, but just more importantly, how are you? Are you okay?
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's broken my heart by leaving Goodison Park, but no, um, I'm all right. Uh, To be honest, I've been well prepared for it this week, doing a number of articles about Richarlison, but not just Richarlison, Anthony Gordon as well. What a week.
0: Yes, yes. Although, I suppose the way to look at it is, he's kind of done you guys quite a big favour, especially the date it was done on as well, helping out your club accounts and all of that, with the problems going on. Maybe he's your saviour. Maybe Richarlison will be your savior. And he's posted that very nice farewell message we saw just before we started recording.
1: Yeah, he did. And at least you still get to watch him every week now at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So, yeah.
0: Well, you get annoyed um, with him if he's playing against Everton and, you know, he goes down maybe cheaply to win free kicks.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. How will No, not at <laughs> all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But a very good signing, a very good signing. Um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering, I'm in this kind of strange uh, kind of, I suppose, mood right now in terms of, we're so used to the fans on social media getting quite impatient. I'm just wondering, I'm looking at the clock now, you know, what is it? It's four hours and a bit since Richarlison was announced. (laughs) You know, I'm wary to look on social media. Are they expecting that next signing? It's
1: uh, it's incredible what's happened at the top of the summer, isn't it? Yeah, it's just a summer like no other. Uh, we've said in the previous podcast that it's usually in the last week of the transfer window when Spurs really start moving. But to have four players in before the start of pre-season training, I know a couple of the players have been back at Hotspur Way uh, since the start of this week and the bulk will return uh, from Monday onwards. But... You know, it's great. I think this is the ideal situation uh, for fans and, you know, for managers and a team as well to have a number of your players in for the first day of pre-season training. You can just, you know, get up and running and then five weeks or so until the opener against Southampton, hopefully everyone will, you know, be uh, well accustomed to each other and they can just hit the ground running, really.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's just... It doesn't feel like Tottenham Hotspur. It's so strange. July the 1st, and we're talking about the fourth signing of the summer with more to come. It's incredible. Um, So Richarlison, five-year deal till 2027. £60 million all in. That's including all the add-ons as well. Um, I suppose the best person to start with really is you because you know him inside out as an Evertonian. What are Tottenham Hotspur getting in Richarlison?
1: Getting a, a brilliant player. Uh, to be honest. Some people have had the gripes over the transfer fee, but for me, £60 million, that's his market value. Uh, I think that's just the going rate for him. Uh, You're getting someone who will give his all in every game. He will fight. He's got the right attitude. Uh, That's why he was loved so much. Uh, Goodison, he was just a typical Everton player, really, where he will fight for every ball and do it anything and everything possible to get three points on the board so that's why he's going to be so badly uh, missed and you you can see that from his message to the fans as well the fans appreciated him but he also appreciated the fans Uh, Spurs are getting a really really good uh, player in Richarlison can play out wide can play through the middle. I think he's got double figures in three of his four seasons at Goodison and a number of those, when we have struggled and not had the best of uh, teams, I think this season just gone, 11 goals and I think it was five five assists in all competitions. Good return, to be honest, to say how badly uh, we struggled and he popped up with a number of goals in the final few weeks of the season when at a time in the season where you need your big place to stand up and be counted. And he did exactly that. So Spurs are getting uh, a really, really good player in Richarlison. Brazilian international starts for the national team. Scored uh, a number of goals and I think Antonio Conte can help take him to the next level. I know he's one of these players and looking at the reaction from Tottenham fans, it's been a bit split so far. But I'm sure come a couple of weeks into the season that everyone, you know, will be uh, a big fan of him because of what he gives on the pitch. I've seen some fans uh, basically saying, why are we signing players from Everton? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's like, there's good players down the bottom of the Premier League table. We've had like one really bad season, but Richarlison's a good player, DCL, Pickford, Godfrey. There's a number of players you'd, Buy from uh, clubs down there. I mean, look at Andy Robertson when he was at Hull, went to Liverpool, really kicked on. Uh, yeah, and
0: yeah, Spurs signed Hoy-Bier from exactly. Southampton, who weren't a flying team, and he had a terrific first season I suppose.
1: Yeah, and there was always talk of uh, Max Aaron's signing from Norwich as well yeah. uh, for it's a about couple of years. Up,
0: isn't it? Exactly. It's about you know, what these players will do when they're playing on a bigger stage. With no disrespect to Everton, but obviously Spurs are going to have Champions League football. And, you know, I think the table will tell you that last season they had a better squad than um, Everton have as well. And also how he reacts, I think, to competition and actually not being a guaranteed week-in, week-out starter.
1: Yeah, 100%. You'll get 110% from Richie every single game. Uh, I think he'll certainly... uh... Go down with uh, Tottenham fans wants to see him in action. So I think a lot of people probably don't watch him in depth and they've just seen the highlights of him and he's naming the headlines for what diving or whatever. But now he's uh, he's a fantastic player and I think he's going to be a, a really big hit at Tottenham uh, and that front far now. Wow, I mean, what a headache for Conte to have.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is. And don't forget Lucas as well, if, if Lucas yeah. is, is sticking around, which he appears to want to do. Um Yeah, and I wouldn't be shocked if there might be another addition in that kind of department, in the attacking areas as well. Um But, yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, you might be able to answer this one because it's really weird. The word of mouth, when you talk to just fans, and this is very much fans, not anyone connected um, with Everton or anything, I think there's always this feeling that Richardson oh, he got an attitude problem. He's got this his attitude about him, and even I was playing football last night, and people were talking about it. And most of the people were all saying, "Yeah, yeah, but you signed a player, you know, signed a player there. He's got he's got proper attitude, but he's not going to like sitting on that bench and all that sort of stuff." But everyone I've spoken to kind of connects with Everton. Has he got an attitude? I, I don't think I've actually heard that. I think maybe people are they confusing the. I know he's had the the odd tear and tantrum when he's got taken off things like that, but. As a player that works for your
1: team, I don't think there's an attitude there, is there? No, not at all. To be honest, it is quite funny watching him when he does get substituted off. Just look at his face. He's just sulking so much. But that's just because he wants to play every single minute of every single game. And that's the same for all football players. But no, I don't think he's got an attitude uh, problem at all. I think Marco Silva described him as the spirit of the dressing room. Everyone in the dressing room Loves him. When we uh, clinched uh, safety in the Premier League with that, a really good win against Crystal Palace after we came back from 2 0 down, Lampard got uh, Richarlison to do a speech in the dressing room, uh, and then everyone was just celebrating with him. I think he is he's someone who is really well respected by his teammates to like him. I think he's, he's funny, and, that, and I think he'll settle in at Tottenham uh, no problem at all.
0: Yeah, it's about, I think the key thing that Spurs are looking for under Conte, it seems to be, is characters, strong characters, people with a strong mentality, um, people that, how do I put this, there's there's worse words I can use. I think we'll go for the dark arts. I think that's the one we'll go for. Um, People probably know the other words I'm thinking of. But those players who wind the hell up, I guess, of other teams and opposition players and opposition fans, you look at Spurs and they're starting to build that kind of team. And they're, to be honest, all the big teams have got these kind of players. You know, Pochettino made a big deal out of it when Spurs played Juventus about the dark arts and, and being able to influence games in slightly different ways. And you look at Spurs now and you look at those players who maybe just a bit cuter and clever in the way they deal with things. And you're looking at your Hoybiers, your Romeros. Probably Benton Kerr come in. Harry Kane as well. Harry Kane knows how to win a free kick. We know that. Um, and I'm sure there's others I'm not even thinking of there as well. And I think Richarlison adds to that. It, it's another player who, yeah, has it, got a bit more to his game. You know, Spurs have always been this quite a flaky team in history. And I think uh, – sorry, not history. More modern history, um, So, 21st century. And – I think Pochettino started to change that it was more of a toughness but even he admitted that it was just that extra element that they were missing and I think a Conte Tottenham is going to look like that they're going to represent Conte um and I think the biggest thing that really signifies for me how much Spurs have listened to Conte um it's kind of it's not only the fact that look yes they've brought in four players by July the 1st which is just unheard of at Tottenham and in for pre-season, which has always been a gripe for so many managers. But I think one of the biggest things is that Spurs are paying £60 million for a player who does not start instantly in the team. And that's because, I've said this numerous times, I am trying not to bore people with it, but Conte is trying to get this attitude within Tottenham that you're not buying a set 11. You're not got a set 11 in your head. You're building a squad of real strength to compete in every competition that he can pick whatever starting eleven he wants and there's no drop-off in quality. And I just think this transfer, more than any so far, signifies that because of the amount of the money involved. You're essentially saying, look, let's say first day of the season, Kane Son and Kulisevsky start. That is what you'd expect to be the starting eleven. So, you're going to go out and buy, you know, spend 60 million on a guy that might not start the first match of the season for you. And you're seeing, you can see some of the pundits are already saying, oh, you know, he's going to be unhappy on the bench. You don't pay 60 million pounds for someone that's going to sit on the bench. It's like, well, that's exactly kind of what Tottenham are doing, but it's not with the idea of the bench. It's with the idea that, you know, Kulisevsky has a drop in form or Conte wants to change the team or. One of them is slightly better in training that week. He will have no doubts about starting with Richarlison. And I think you notice as well, with all of these signings, a very similar theme. They're all ready to play and get started straight away. Three of them have played more than 100 Premier League games each. Perisic has played in, what, Germany, Italy, Belgium. The guy is clearly very adaptable of new experiences, new leagues, new countries, and he has been there and done it. I don't think it's any coincidence that all four of these players, there's no um, waiting around time. There's no adaptation. There's no, with no disrespect to foreign signings that Spurs have had in the past, there's no let's wait one or two years, maybe we'll see the best of them kind of stuff. Conte is about the now. We know that. And, yeah, I think this is another signing who, look, I was very honest about it, I think, in the last podcast. If you've given me the choice between Richarlison and Rafinha, I probably would have picked Rafinha because I just think, in terms of the individual talent, I do think that maybe his ceiling is higher. But I 100% believe that as a squad player that complements all the positions Spurs are looking for up front, Richarlison ticks every box there. And I think he could become a very, very good signing for Tottenham because, you know... So, he can play on the left instead of Sonny. He can play on the right instead of Kulisevsky. And as you said, you know, if Kane needs a rest or something, Richarlison is up front. And he's shown that he can do that role for Everton as a lone man. And I know Conte looked at Bergvine as a, he always said that he could be that. Let's be honest, stature wise, I don't think Bergvine really could fulfill that role completely. But obviously Richarlison, what is he? he's over six foot, isn't he? He's quite a big lad. He's got a good frame to him. He can be more of a target man as well, if required. Um, although I was listening to Tim Vickery talk about him yesterday on, um when he was on Talk Sport. It was quite interesting the way he was describing him as a striker. It kind of, I think he described him as a whippet, as like a head-down, run-forward kind of player. And I thought that was really interesting as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a very astute signing. It's a lot of money, but I think maybe the fans... The fans are quite interesting, you know. Fans sometimes will say, "Spend whatever it takes, <laughs> just get that player." And then on the flip side, they'll sometimes say, "Oh, that fees too much." And it's kind of like, I think that's probably the club's issue. And let's be honest, Spurs—if they believe, they clearly believe in him. Otherwise, they wouldn't be putting this sort of money towards the deal. Um, yeah, really interested to see what he brings to Tottenham.
1: But it's what the best teams do. They don't stand still in the transfer market after good seasons. They go out and strengthen. Liverpool are the prime example in recent seasons. I mean, boy, it's true. It is true. It's true. Uh, They had such a good front three in Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah and Roberto Firmino But they didn't stand still. They went out and got Diego Jota after winning the league. This was like two, three months after winning the Premier League. And he had a really, really good first season at the club. And then in January, because Spurs were looking at signing Luis Diaz, that alerted Liverpool. And because he was in their summer plans, they had to bring the plans forward and sign him. And then they had five quality players up front where they could rotate in the Premier League Champions League. And Mikosta signed Diaz, that softened the blow of losing Mane this yeah. summer. And he's
0: that's already what, adapted.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what the Premier League's best do. And it's great to see Spurs doing it. They they are literally strengthening a position of real strength. And that's what top clubs do. So, you know, full credit to Paratici, uh, Conte, Daniel Levy for doing this this summer because this is what Spurs have to do if they want to stay at the top. And just going back to Richarlison and the Dark Arts, I remember Jose Mourinho saying in the Amazon documentary, was it nice guys don't win anything. I yeah. think you need players with uh, the Dark Arts. And I know Rich has got a lot of stick in the past for maybe going down a bit too easy and that in games. But I'm sure Tottenham fans will love it if he's doing that in the North London derby to wind down the clock when they're winning. You know, yeah. he's one of these players where you want him on your team, not against. I think it's a really, really good signing.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's interesting. That, that last point as well That about wanting him on their team because I think there'll be a few Players at Spurs, I think we know we're all looking at Christian Romero here, that we'll be probably thinking, what, you signed him? Um, Because, yeah, Romero and Richardson have had a bit of a running battle over games they played this season. And and I think he got Davinson Sanchez sent off, if I remember correctly, as well, Um against Watford. I remember, was it a, an elbow down the touchline? I think he was running down the touchline. I seem to remember that as well. So, there will be a few of those Spurs defenders who have not enjoyed coming up against him. And look, they're probably thinking right now, oh, maybe, or maybe thinking, this is a massive guess. You know, they might be thinking, oh, I didn't stand that, couldn't stand that guy when I played against him. But we all know that once someone's your teammate, it's an entirely different thing. And you actually end up appreciating those things that annoyed you as an opponent. And, and he will be a handful for, for opposition defenses. And it's just. Look, I've said this before, but it needs stressing again. There were times when Conte looked at that bench last season, and I know know people around him told me that he was like, I've got no options. There's no one to bring on to change this game. And at the moment, Tottenham's bench is going to be one of the strongest around now, all because of these moves they've made. And they need to continue to do that because players are going to head out the door. And that's the key, I think, for them now, is that they don't end up shrinking the squad again by letting so many go without replacing. Um, But, yeah, it's a good signing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, God, we're about, what, 15, 16 minutes into this podcast and I'm already wondering why they haven't announced another signing (laughs) yet.
1: Well, I can remember last week we were on about Richarlison and you were saying no I'll take Anthony Gordon and I was saying absolutely no chance and then uh, earlier this week Spurs interested in signing Anthony Gordon uh, as well as Richarlison I think it's a deal you want to get over the line but I think (laughs) it's certainly a tricky one uh, if Spurs are to get this done Uh, for me I don't see why he should move, and I'm not just saying that as an Everton fan. is yeah. a is a young lad. He wouldn't be getting regular minutes at Tottenham with, obviously, Richardson, Koleszewski, Lucas Mara. He's got a really, really good relationship with Frank Lampard. I think that's clear to see. Uh, we've seen num- numerous pictures of them, you know, embracing after games on the training pitch. Lampard rates him incredibly highly. I don't think they'd want to see that relationship, you know, split uh, so soon after working together. And then Gordon is an Evertonian through and through. He's been in the system since his 11 year olds He's, you know, he's living his dream playing for his hometown club. For me, yeah, I can see the pull of why you'd want to play on the Conte and the Champions League. But I think it benefits him staying at Everton now.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming I, I upset a few Everton fans this week um, because, they, you know, it's understandable. I absolutely understand it because all fans are very protective, especially over their you know, homegrown players, ones that come through the ranks as well. Because I wrote a piece saying that, yeah, Spurs, you know, have explored this possibility. Um, they're looking for homegrown players as well, and they really like Anthony Gordon. I think he's terrific. I think he's going to be a massive Premier League talent that he could be. Um And, yeah, in my piece, I I mentioned that I understand that he would be keen on the move uh, to play Champions League football and and work with Antonio Conte. However, I also stated quite clearly, he adores Everton, and he would never ask for a move in a million years from what I understand. So it's an an issue. I I get it. As fans, you're going to be like, you're talking rubbish. What do you know? (laughs) And I understand that. But I think if you step aside and logically look at it, Of course, any player wants to be playing on the top level. They want to be playing for the top managers in the world. And I get that. That's not to say, you know, that he's desperately wanting to get out of Everton or anything like that. It's just saying that if Everton were to accept a bid, then he would seriously consider it. Because as a player, ambition-wise, of course, it's a big move. Um, If I'm going to be completely honest, like you, I think it is probably too early for him. I think if I were him, I would continue to develop a, a little bit longer at Everton as well. Um, but I can certainly understand why Everton, uh, sorry, Tottenham would be looking at him quite seriously as well. But I'd be stunned if Everton were to let him go. I think it would be essentially lighting kind of, you know, the blue touch paper for like a riot outside Goodison Park. Uh, I think Richarlison, you know, like you said at the start, I think the fans understand that, and I think it understand it kind of had to happen. And financially, it was very good for Everton as well. We haven't spoken about that. Coming before uh, the end of June 30th, helped them with their bank accounts and the financial fair play year. Um, so that was all very beneficial to them. And I guess it, I suppose it would also, it would... uh It would kind of count on also who would come into Everton if suddenly a load of attacking wingers came in and maybe they looked at that and thought that. But, yeah, I don't think for Everton it makes any sense to sell now. I also think if I'm Everton, he's probably going to be worth probably another 50% of what he's worth now at the end of next year because I do think he's going to continue to progress. So, yeah, I understand why Everton fans got very upset and, and called me all mean names. Um, but I understand that because Spurs fans would be the same if Oliver Skip, let's say, was was linked away and, and uh, a report said that he'd be keen on a move to, I don't know, Man City or whatever. Um, I'm not comparing Spurs to Man City. I'm comparing the probably the, the jump up in levels currently of the squads and, and teams. teams. Um, but yeah, Anthony Gordon, one to watch. Uh, I would think that Spurs will revisit this in a later window if it's not doable, this one, which... It appears I think it probably won't be uh, able to. I'll tell you what though, no, Spurs and Everton. There's a the, there's a lot of going back and forth here with Delhi Alley, and we're still to find out, you know, whether the Delhi Alley payments are involved in this. It's one of those where they don't really have to declare it, whether it's wrapped up in the 60 million or not. It's one of those things maybe until we see the financial accounts at the end of the financial year, whether we'll know about that. And of course, there's Harry Winks linked although that looked like it got shut down a bit this week mark douglas who we know well um, from the um, i uh, paper i think he he, um, he used to work um, in our company he he said that everton have gone very cold on that one have turned away from that so yeah it seems to be a real spurs everton thing going on at the moment it's pretty much dominated our podcast so far
1: but i mean on, on wednesday was just ridiculous in terms of tottenham players being linked with everton i think i oh, can Eight in total. I think it started with, obviously, Winks, Stephen Bergwine, Lucas Mara, Joe Roden. Uh, there was someone else. And then at the end of the day, Tanganga. it was literally...
0: felt like Tanganga was maybe. No. Was oh, Tongi. It... Was it
1: Tongi? Yeah, this is what I'm just about to say. At the end of the day, it was literally just like plucking names <laughs> from a hat because it was Tongi belly, Jack Clark and uh, Matt Doherty. So I was just waiting for the next day where Kane, Son, Romero, Hype <laughs> yeah, get linked. But well, no, no, can't yourself. I, I don't think they're talking
0: about, uh, you know, those kind of players. But do you know what? Pretty much every one of those players you've said, barring Jack Clark, I don't think that's probably where Jack Clark's level is right now. I think he needs to kill building in the Championship um, after his League One. But actually, I think a lot of those players you mentioned would actually be very good for Everton. And I think it would probably help them in their careers, funnily enough.
1: I'd take a couple of them, uh, <laughs> Joe, Joe Roden and Stephen yep. Bergwijn. But as I was explaining to you the other day, why would Bergwijn want to come to us yeah. when he's got his heart set on the move to Ajax, he can move back home, he can play in the Champions League. We can't offer him that unless he wants to wait another 12 months. we start uh, regularly
0: for you though, especially with a Charleston guy?
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he would. He'd be a fantastic signing uh, for us, but I can't see Tongi fitting in too well oh, t- i've seen it firsthand over the past three years who's still waiting for see tongi he's very best over a consistent period yeah. i just don't want to go through that again so no
0: yeah 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 no I-, I think a few of them gonna fit in right we should probably move away from everton now because <laughs> this is <laughs> going against talk everton um yeah, I mean, where do you want to go next? What? what who? who, who, uh, who are we we're actually we going to do like, next or next transfer or
1: the next player we're going to speak about actually has been linked with a move to Everton today, and that's Jesse Lingard. <laughs> so, so you're
0: still getting Everton in there.
1: Yeah, smooth link into uh, like talk it. of Jesse Lingard. Obviously, he's been. Linked to a move to Tottenham in the past. I think you reported, one day back in January, that I think yeah. discussions had taken place with his camp over the possibility maybe of a move. Uh in the summer, Lingard doesn't have a club at the moment. His contract with Manchester United's uh come to an end. Being heavily linked with a move to West Ham following such a successful low move uh at the club previously, in think that was 20 2021 20, season. It, did really, really well in East London. So Lingard's going to have options, and I think Tottenham's name has uh, come up once again. Possibility of this happening.
0: Uh, it's an interesting one. Yeah, like, like you said, we, we, kind of re- we reported this back in January. The sense I got from people at the time was that Lingard appeared to be heading abroad, which doesn't seem to have come to pass at this moment in time um or or be in the pipeline but uh, it's a funny one i mean yes uh, homegrown wise of course he's very experienced he he ticks a lot of boxes and he's probably in a position that spurs could could maybe do with a bit of strength in especially as they didn't go for ericsson um i just wonder if i look at it and i'm lingard i probably wouldn't do it if i'm him i mean he may well choose otherwise but I just kind of look at that and I think you've had a season at Man United where you barely started any matches. You haven't been playing regularly. I don't think he would do so regularly at Tottenham either. I don't think he would get much football. You know, I think he would get games, but I'm not saying he'd be a regular start. If I was him at this stage in his career, I'd probably be going somewhere where I know I would start week in, week out. And that probably is somewhere like West Ham. Um, or Everton. You know, Everton, he probably would start maybe week in, week out. Because, um, you know, <laughs> I was gonna... <laughs> un- cruel there. But no, but I think he would. I think he probably would be more of a regular star at Everton than he would at Tottenham. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know about that one. I don't. It, like Like I said, Spurs definitely have got an interest there. Um, whether they have kind of followed up that interest again this summer, we'll see. Um But yeah, I don't think if... if, It depends. I can't imagine Spurs will be his only option because I think as a free agent with the experience that he's got, I would have thought he'll have a fair few clubs lining up for him. Um, I'd just be surprised if he were to pick Tottenham.
1: Yeah, I think for me, the West Ham ones the stand out for him. Surely he knows the club. He did really, really well under David Moyes. Surely you you just go back to what you know, but I think he'll have a number of options and he's just picking the best one for him. But after a year on the sidelines at Manchester United, for his sake, he needs to be playing regularly because, you know, there's a World Cup coming up at the end of the year and a lot of people, you know, had written him off ahead of the Euros, but then that form at West Ham brought him into Southgate's standby list. And they almost made it. I think that was one what was probably a really, really tough decision for Southgate at the time, whether to take him or not. So, yeah, uh, tough one for Lingard. I know we've spoken before about Tottenham's non-homegrown numbers and the homegrown numbers. Yeah. But on the homegrown numbers, Spurs look all right at the moment in the Premier League because Ryan Sessignon and Oliver Skip this season are no longer qualify for the under 21 list they go on to the Premier League homegrown players list and I think we've got it at the moment as 11 players and obviously I think homegrown you can name as many as you want but then that reduces your non-homegrown numbers uh, obviously because in terms of non-homegrown numbers you're only allowed 17 so with the 11 homegrown players at the moment you're looking at the likes of Jack Clark Moving on, uh, who else did we say? Harry Tanganga, Winks. Harry Winks, Tanganga possibly, Roden. So that number could drop, but then you've got a balancing act between the Premier League and the Champions League because yeah. Matt Doherty, Ben Davies, Joe Roden are seen as non-homegrown in Europe.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one. People sometimes, they may be, when we, we mention homegrown players, we're... We're probably not terming this quite right. It's because I think people then start looking at how many British players they've got. Technically, what we probably should be saying is the amount of non-homegrown um, players, the foreign players. That's that's more the issue with Spurs than it always has been. But yes, you're quite right in that we're actually going to end up getting to a situation where both are a problem. Whereas in terms of Spurs, I actually might end up having so many homegrown players because of, like you say, Skip and session on coming off the under-21 list, that actually, to fit the amount of homegrown players in, it's actually shrinking the number of foreign players that they can also have, non-locally trained is the technical term. So, yeah, like you say, so this is a Premier League squad alone. There's 11 homegrown players. And like you say, if you take, I don't know, let's say Clark, Winks and Roden all go to take you down to your um, eight... <sighs> If you sign, let's say, a Jed Spence, you sign a Lingard, then technically your limit of seventeen because your squad has to be twenty-five. That that's your squad of those over at twenty-one players. Um, so yeah, so let's say you end up with, I don't know, ten homegrown players if they were in a in a different, I don't know, it, it, in a scenario where they sign um, Spence and Lingard. So you end up with ten. So that technically means you can only have fifteen foreign players uh to fit into the rest of that 25 because there's not enough space and you know like you say Spurs have got exactly 17 on the limit right now in the Premier League squad oh we look at that Champions League squad because of the weird ruling that you know Doherty Davies and Roden um are not considered homegrown because they were in either Wales or Ireland for their formative years Tottenham have got 22 foreign players with the limit being 17 so that's five over the limit Um, and yeah homegrown players in the Champions League of course because you're losing those other players yeah they're down to eight in that and that's including various players that could go so it's a bit different in terms of the homegrown but foreign player limit I mean you're looking at those I mean obviously lacelso Celso on Dembele both likely to head off. Brian Hill, probably likely to head off. So that brings you down to 19. Um, Roden, as we said, probably likes to go off and get regular football. Then you've got the likes of Emerson or Reglon because this is a problem. You sign any more foreign players, then it becomes an issue in that they, they can't fit in. There is no, you'll end up with players that not only aren't playing in the Champions League, but actually couldn't be registered for the Premier League. And it's one of these, we are the most boring people when it comes to homegrown and non-homegrown uh, players. People just go, oh, they're going on about it again. But the trouble is, is we kind of, we keep an eye on this every year because we know it causes problems. You know, we've seen poor old Juan Foyth, Pochino, I've never seen him more gutted than when he had to leave Foyth out. Um, I think Mourinho had to leave him out as well, didn't he? I think he said that I, I wanted to bring him back in, but I couldn't because I had to stick with a team that qualified, like essentially got us through to the knockout stages. Um, they've had, there was more, was it more last year?
1: Uh, Joe, oh, Joe Roden. Joe, Roden, Joe, that Roden.
0: That Joe It was Roden with Mourinho, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. And then under Poch, Enkudin uh, missed out, Vincent Janssen, uh, Lame- Lamella at one point as well, but that was probably more to do with his injury. Yeah. Did did Dembele get left out? Maybe because of an injury.
0: Possibly maybe. for the the groups, I and mean, maybe. Or, the, or is the that quality.
1: why? I
0: think that's why
1: Fife got left out to bring Dembele back in. That it sounds, might have been that.
0: That sounds about right. Yeah, so it is a big thing, and it does impact who they can bring in. Um, I saw someone on Twitter um, said something about it, it doesn't matter. And It's like it really does, it really does because no club wants to be paying players who are just sitting there not playing for them. Um, and especially let's say squad players who maybe, um, you know, when you're rotating and everything as well, it's yeah, it, it does become quite an important thing. So, yeah, we've got an article on football. London, have a little look at it. It's, it was written this morning about um Richarlison and what he does to the numbers. Have a little look and I think you'll realise exactly how, uh, you know, exactly how really Spurs have got to manage the rest of the window and how key it is. I think the 150 million injection has given Spurs that little cushion to bring in players before selling them. We've only had Cameron Carter-Vickers go out the door really at the moment. But I think you'll now see a real try to push to get players out the door because otherwise you end up with this bloated squad that you can't register players in certain competitions for um and nobody wants that whatsoever um they need to start getting them out the door because yeah strangely it's it's been well not strangely because it is something that spurs always struggled with but yeah they have struggled to get those players out the door
1: I think, obviously, because we're in July now, that's where we should probably start seeing see things ramping up a bit in terms of uh, outgoings. Giovanna, Celso's future needs to be sorted out, whether Brian Hill goes out on loan again, Pape Matassar, Tongi on the belly, what exactly happens to him? So Obviously, he didn't have the greatest of loan spells uh, back at Leon last season, so... Maybe shifting him on a permanent basis is going to be hard to do. It might have to be another loan deal. And then you've got players who were in the first team squad uh, in the second half of last season Sergio Reggion, uh, Emerson, Royale, Harry Winks. There's a number of players. So it's good that Spurs have got the incomings in. But I think now there's got to be a shift in the tension towards the outgoings as well. Because, as well as, you know, the foreign players, the non-homegrown numbers, what we've mentioned, you just can't afford to have a bloated squad really at the end but of the day. But we want more signings, <laughs> Guesty. <laughs> balancing act. It's all about a yeah. balancing act. That's what it's got to be.
0: Two in every position. That's what you need. That's what Conte wants. Two in every position. I think when you're getting over that then there's just no need, is there? Um And I think we'll see that maybe with some of the fullback slots as well. That's going, you know, I understand, you know, the likes of Emerson and Reguilon, they don't really want to leave Spurs. And I get that. Emerson's been, his agent, I've seen, has been quite vocal. I saw one thing. He was, was saying that Conte had told him he was going to be his first choice. Um, I'm not entirely sure that's going to be the case. But, um, yeah, you know, there's going to be a point where they can't have three fullbacks on either side. There's being cautious. And then there's like, Man, that's that's too much um and you know any money they bring in for these players as well they can put into more transfers as well um and that's a key thing as well to it so yeah need to get players start moving out the door be interested to see what happens with harry winks like i say with all this the everton stuff that kind of was and now doesn't seem to be and maybe will be re- resurrected again i don't know um it was quite interesting because uh, mark's piece said about Lampard having done due diligence on him was the term he used which is really interesting because in January Everton came in for winks and they also came in for winks again after Lampard arrived uh, in the the final kind of was it day or two he he turned up I mean of course he would have been involved in any potential signings in that last week or so as it looked like he was going to join Everton Um, so yeah I would be surprised that six months on due diligence would have been done (laughs) it's a little late in the process but you know, if I'm sure he's hearing the things from the Everson side of things. So uh but yeah. Yeah, a lot of players need to be kind of heading out that door.
1: Right. As you mentioned, uh fullbacks will get back onto the incomings and Jed Spence, then <laughs> that's a deal. All Tottenham fans are hoping they can get over the line sooner rather than later. It's one that seems to have dragged on uh, for a while now Chris Wilder Middlesbrough manager was speaking about Spence uh, earlier in the week and basically stated that Middlesbrough have you know decided on a transfer fee what they want to get for Spence what they believe is a fair valuation so that he can move on and get a move to the Premier League and now really it's about all three parties coming together and making sure he can get that move to Tottenham I think with everyone basically saying, given Spurs have had this massive cash injection, why aren't Spurs just, you know, paying the money to get it done? I think if you're looking at things in business sense, you wouldn't do that, would you? In a business, just pay over the top. I think you've got to pay what you believe is the fair price and what you believe is right. And now it's about coming to that uh, decision. There's gonna be a, There's going to have to be a compromise from one of the parties, either way, uh, to get the deal done. And, you know, with the players heading off to South Korea in, what, eight days' time? You know, I think everyone will be hoping that Spurs can quickly agree on the deal for him.
0: Yeah, it's been, do you know what? It's been one of the weirdest transfers I've ever seen kind of covered in the media in recent years. You know, we know it's a frenzy in the transfer window, and it always is. I don't think I've ever seen a player who's had a fee agreed for him so many times by the same club. It's like, I mean, it was about three weeks ago. It was like fee agreed, advanced negotiations, and all this sort of stuff. It's a really weird one. So I don't know where the noises are coming from because every time we see these, obviously we go and talk to people involved in all different ends of this potential deal. And every time the noises come back as, no, it hasn't progressed. There's been no progress in this. Um, I even saw today, there's like, it was, it's coming in for his medical and stuff like that. It's like, well, no, there doesn't seem to be, that doesn't seem to be the case at all. Um, I still think that there's this valuation difference between the clubs. Um, it's, it's one of those, isn't it? It's where Middlesbrough want to get the top possible money they can for the player. I think I've said this before. If I'm Tottenham, I'm looking at a player who's had a terrific season but ultimately has had a season in the Championship. So I wouldn't be wanting to pay an astronomical fee for someone that you know maybe puts some add-ons there. If he does perform and, and obviously becomes a, a real star in the Premier League and the Champions League, then of course the, the Middlesbrough would get compensated. But I can't imagine a huge upfront fee would make much sense right now for a player who's had one very good season in the Championship. And I think that's probably likely to be the sticking point. And we know there's a fair bit of interest in him. We understand that he wants Tottenham, um, or certainly would like to play for Tottenham. And I found it really fascinating, Chris Wilder quotes from last weekend, how he was saying, essentially, he expects it to get done. He feels that uh, Spence wants to come to Tottenham. And then it was this really interesting quote where he was talking about Middlesbrough not paying over the odds for anyone. And he referenced strikers in championship that, you know, we've been quoted 20 million to 25 million. And it's like, what? (laughs) Isn't that the kind of price that seems to be being touted for Spence, like 20 million. And it's like, well, if you're saying that championship player isn't worth that, then I don't entirely understand that. I mean, maybe, maybe the quotes didn't quite uh, convey what he was trying to say, but yeah, it's been such a weird deal. I think it would be a very good deal for Spurs and the player. I think he would suit very nicely into uh, the Conte way. And like you say, Spurs, Although, yes, we have been talking about those numbers. I do think for the future, Spurs do need more homegrown players. I think that zone can only benefit them in the years ahead. And at 21, there's a lot more to come from him. Um, and I think I think he'll offer something different to what they've got down that right-hand side. Um, you know, he's, he's, yeah, he's a different different player, certainly to Emerson, and I'd say also to Matt Doherty as well. Um, but, yeah, it's about being patient with that one. You know, there seems to be every day there seems to be either it's been agreed or it's advanced, and it doesn't seem to be the case yet. Um, personally, I think probably all parties will eventually make it happen uh, because I think it it's one that works for all parties as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's um, it's exactly like you say. It's not a club just spending money just for the sake of it, it has to be the right price. Um, and, yeah, and we'll see that in the in the days, perhaps weeks ahead. It's one of those where ideally Conte would like everyone in for pre-season. Of course, they would, especially for that trip to Korea. But, you know, four, four in through the door already. Um, I think I said this in a piece the other day. It's like, yes, of course, in an ideal world, he'd like every single signing in. But let's be honest, if on deadline day, because we must stress this, there are two months left of the transfer window, <laughs> which I'm still trying to get my head around, the fact that we've got two more months of transfer stories to write. But also, if on deadline day, Spurs, and this is absolute, this is not saying this will happen, but in an ideal world, let's say Spurs signed Alessandro Bastoni on the last day of deadline day you know, in transfer window, I don't think Spurs, uh, the fans or Conte would go, oh, no, I wanted him earlier. Think, I think everyone will go, hey, that's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we need to kind of get used to the idea was that a, a fair few signings would be in for pre-season, and that has already happened. And if a couple of deals do take slightly longer, I think maybe we, we – all of us, and that's it myself included, journalists included, maybe don't need to be stampeding and, and lighting flaming torches and marching around saying, we want the next transfer. Because I think some of these deals may just have to take that a little bit longer to do.
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, one player who has been heavily linked with a move to Tottenham this week and the possibility of a, a loan deal getting done is Barcelona defender Clement Longley. He was linked with Spurs uh, last summer. There was a player that wanted to try and bring in, but a deal never happened. An exit from Barcelona does look likely, but I think if the they're going for Longley, does that signal that they're not going to get Bastoni or Josko Garvidal from Leipzig?
0: It's an interesting one because technically he's quite versatile. He can play either on the left of the back three or he can play central. So I think this is why I really don't want to be too disparaging of Longley because I don't want to – there's a bit of a narrative going around that, oh, he's not good enough and all this sort of stuff, and that's clearly not the case. The guys of France, the French international – Yes, it didn't go well for him at Barcelona last season. He was on the bench more often than not. Um, but by no means is he a bad player or anything like that. So I don't want to feed into that kind of narrative around it. But what I would say is that, you know, we've made it very clear um, over the course of this transfer window that Spurs' top two targets for that left-side centre-back position were um, Josko Gvardiol from RB Leipzig and Alessandro Bastoni from Inter Milan. There's been no secret to that, you know, it, it, they they, they are very much have been the, the top targets. But also, I say top targets, top names on the wish list is probably the best way to put it because ultimately you're also dictated about whether you can actually sign that player. Um, and both players did not, well, don't really seem to be keen on leaving their current clubs and neither club seems particularly keen on letting them go. And when you have that scenario, there's not too much you can do about it other than throwing the most obscene amounts of money at the situation. And even then, not everyone's about money. Um, So, yeah. So, with that in mind, you've got those at the top. But then you also look at someone like Clement Longley. And Spurs last uh, summer tried to sign him on loan. He turned them down at the time. Um, Obviously, a season hasn't gone how he's wanted. So, you'd imagine that stance is very different from him now. But if I'm looking at this as a, and I'm Tottenham, and it, looks like it would be a lone move again. And it's suggestions that there would be an option to buy in there as well, which some of the figures I've seen going around have not been much at all. It almost comes into the no-brainer category. It almost comes into that category of, well, look, this is a France international who, from what people have told me, I've spoken to some people that kind of watched a lot of him, and they tell me, um, very experienced player. A lot of know-how, very good left foot, um, clever player, not got the greatest pace, but he makes up for that with anticipation things like that. Um, I think if you're looking at that and if Spurs do get him or do pull the trigger, then, yeah, I mean, for a lone move, for a guy that can cover two positions in your back line, and he wouldn't be the only centre-back signing. I think they'll, they'll make two, especially with Joe Roden heading out. Um, and maybe Tanganga as well. I think there would be two. I, I think it kind of makes sense. But I should stress that with these players, it's very much the, the expression I got told the other day was spinning plates, and that's how Paratichi works. You know, he will have loads of these different targets, and, and especially at centre-back. I think we've seen that. We've seen so many names linked. New ones coming out every day as well who clearly, there will be an element of truth because perhaps Pratt- you will have asked those representatives of those players, is he available? How much can we get him for? Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, you're going to have a lot of these. And then essentially it's which one's right at the end of it he's going to push the green light on. Um, push the button, push the green light on. I think I'm mixing my metaphors there. Um, yeah. And I think Longley, personally, I think if you're trying to bolster your squad, I think he does make sense. Uh, and I certainly don't buy into the fact that he's, he's not going to be good enough for the Premier League or anything like that as well, just because in a Barcelona, in a very much a transitional season, he wasn't a chosen name. Um, you know, I think Spurs in the past, I mean, you could argue that they've just picked up Benton Kerr and Kulusevski, who weren't first choice regular starters at Juventus anymore. Both were dipping in and out of the team a little bit. I think they've been probably two of the signings of the last season for any club so uh yeah i really wouldn't look at it that way um so yeah we'll see what happens with Longley. it looks like one that might get done uh, unless another opportunity suddenly arises but uh yeah this is what i mean when, when i say i've seen some people taking it slightly out of context me saying he's a backup option things like that it's it's a harsh way of saying that he's definitely been on the list of their potential centre-back signings. He was, like I say, last summer as well. So, it's a player they do have a serious interest in. And if they move for him, it's because they feel that out of the names they've got left, he, he does the best job for what they want. But I don't think he would be the only centre-back addition.
1: Yeah, he's... Uh, I think he did really well at Sevilla. I think they were raving about him at the time. And that's why Barca came in for him, was a regular in the team and... As you were saying last season, probably just didn't work out for him. But he's a French international, so there's definitely something about him. And the fact is, Barcelona don't buy players if they're not good enough. I know Barca have had some wretched transfers in recent years, but they've bought good players, and you know they're just not worked out. Prime example: Philippe Coutinho. Uh I don't personally know a lot about Longley. I mean, is he better than Ben Davis? I, I don't know in terms of that left-sided centre-back role. Uh, mm. Davis, you know, is probably one of these. It wasn't always flavour of the month with Tottenham fans, but just look how much he's progressed under Conte in that left-sided centre-back role. Look at how well he played for Wales in that qualifier uh the start of June against Ukraine. He was absolutely immense. Tottenham have a really good player there. Uh, so for me given I don't know much about Longley, I don't know if he can, you know, if he is better than Davison, he will start, but there's a good player there. And I think now it's about competition for places. And what we were saying before, strengthening positions of strength and making sure you've got a really good squad for the Premier League and the Champions League uh, this season. And you know, there's five subs in games now. That's why you need a competitive squad. So, yeah, like you're saying, one to keep an eye on with uh, Long laying a potential loan deal to Tottenham. Uh, next, what should we talk about? Incomings, but not in terms of players now on the coaching staff. Uh, Spurs are in advanced talks with Gianni Vio. He's a specialist set-piece coach. Uh, Some might have heard of him, some not, but I think he's uh, highly regarded in the game, being at Palermo, Fiorentina, AC Milan. Had two spells in England, at Brentford and at Leeds. Was also part of Roberto Mancini's Italy backroom team, who won the Euros. And uh, Clubs now are looking at any little way to strengthen things and make it better on the pitch. I mean, Liverpool have had throwing coaches. You've got teams now who have the set-piece coaches. And just looking at uh, a quote from Walter Zenger, who brought Via to Palermo, he basically said, he isn't just a free-kick wizard. He's like having a 15 or 20-goal striker in the team. 20-goal a season player can get injured, It can get suspended but there are set pieces in every game always and he knows how to exploit them best. He's very skilled at it. He managed to get players scoring who otherwise wouldn't score. Then that would be potentially a good addition for Tottenham because that's an area they have struggled in uh, over the past couple of seasons, both in terms of scoring from set pieces and conceding.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, <laughs> it's quite a glaring area of the team, hasn't it? That, it's funny, isn't it? We find that We got to see Sonny scoring some lovely free kicks as well in international duty, and I think we thought, yes, the saviour is here. Um, but maybe Gianni Vio ends up being that saviour in terms of set pieces because, yeah, was it 4,830, something like that, different set pieces he's designed. Um, what was the first club he went to um, with Zenga? Uh, Palermo. It was Palermo, yeah, because, yeah, that first season I saw the stats and it was like a ridiculous percentage of their goals came from his set pieces that he designed and essentially kept them up. Um, and Italy, Euro 20, um, it was what, 2020, they were absolutely kind of revolutionising their set pieces. And what he does, he goes into a club, looks at the individual players and then he adapts however many certain scenarios from his set pieces that he's designed towards those players and their strengths and their weaknesses and everything. Um, and also designs them for the weaknesses of each team they're going to play so yeah again i've used the word no-brainer already this is another one if you can get this i think last i heard it was advanced it wasn't imminent but it was advanced and uh they can get that done that's a massive signing um in terms of the coaching staff and what he can bring to spurs and it could do with getting him in sooner rather than later, of course. Get him out there in pre-season, a to work on some of these. But, yeah, in terms of something that Spurs have lacked, I'm trying to think if they've ever had a specialist set-piece coach. I don't think I can even remember one in there at any management team. I'm trying to think if they did. But, yeah, it's it seems entirely logical to fix a huge, glaring issue they've had uh, with set-pieces and, you know, Bring something like that in. I think you see the defenders start to chip in with a lot more goals if it's all these things. And, uh, yeah, yeah, get it done, get it done.
1: He he did really well at Brentford. I was having a look at their stats and I think the season before he came in, they were 22nd out of the 24 teams in the Championship for set-piece goals. 12 months down the line, they were fourth, scored 15 goals from set-pieces, Burnley with the team who came out on top with 20, bullets. no surprise at all, given how good they are from uh, set pieces. He went to Leeds, didn't have quite the same impact, maybe because he joined Leeds at the start of November, I think it was, so then you don't have that amount of time on the training pitch with the players as you would if you join in the summer and then Leeds also had a bit of uh, they had a managerial change I think it was Thomas Christensen left Paul Heckingbottom came in so if you're getting a new coach coming in with different ideas maybe you're not looking to you know take advantage of the set pieces as much so but after his spell at Leeds he's you know returned to Italy I think he's been at Spal Cagliari then with the Italian national team as well. So I think that would be uh, a really, really good addition if they can get it over the line. But Spurs, in terms of the backroom team at the club, he's going to look quite different over the coming weeks. And Greta Steinson, he's uh, coming in as performance director, joining today. Then there's Andy Scalding, who was at Rangers. He's coming in as assistant performance director later this summer and there's also Simon Davis as well he's coming into work uh it's not Simon Davis who used to play for Tottenham he yeah. has he wasn't Manchester United when he was younger uh mid 90s played for him. he's been on the coaching staff uh city as well so someone coming in with plenty of experience there as well
0: yeah it's, it's all changed by the scenes. i mean these guys the last three or more their recruitment team obviously they're going to be paratcheese Right-hand men, I guess is the way of saying it. Uh, Steinson obviously, you'll you'll know well because his years at Everton. Um, it's a strange situation with Everton. It all seemed to be a bit of a power struggle towards the end with Rafa Benitez as well. And yeah, I, I don't know quite how that was all working behind the scenes. Um, yeah, his first day of work was meant to be July the first today, so he will have uh, begun his his work there and Andy Scolding's very highly rated, um, former, well say currently technically, I think still Rangers Man. Um, he'll join a little bit later. Um, is interesting because Steve Hitchens title was technical performance director, but he's on gardening leave until a little bit later this year. So I, I I presume that they're both called performance director and assistant performance director because they're not allowed the technical in there because someone else has that title still. Um, and then, yeah, Simon Davies, it looks like his title uh, could be head of methodology, uh, which is a beautifully jargony phrase. Um, and he'll be working with Dean Rastrick, the academy manager, in terms of pretty much what it says on the tin, I guess, just keeping this... I'm going to use another jargony word, synergy between the first team and the academy um, and getting, I guess, everyone playing in the same way, just, just the pathway being that little bit smoother, I suppose. Um, yeah, all three come very highly recommended by those who've worked with them in the past. Um, yeah, I think Simon Davies was meant to start today as well. July the 1st was his contract date as well. Uh, and, yeah, so... One of those where I don't know whether we'll get to see an immediate impact this transfer window or not, or whether that's one for future windows. But certainly, with a man as busy as Paratici, um, it's only going to benefit him. From what I understand, with Paratici, his his strengths lie in his working of the market and also his working of the boardroom. Apparently, he's very good in boardroom scenarios and kind of convincing the power types of what needs to be done. And, you know, I think this window so far has been a very good example of that, um, especially with Conte as well being quite a persuasive chap. Um, and yeah, for what I understand, they're his main two strengths. And then he likes to assemble people around him. And he did this at Juventus, that kind of their qualities lie in everywhere else to do with the football side of a club. and And I think that's what we're seeing is he's brought in these three guys that are going to kind of work beneath him. Uh, concerned with all areas of the football side and obviously way back with with Hitchin they did an appraisal of each and every one of the departments so all of these new guys will be essentially working towards this new I said the new structure and plan that they want so yeah we'll see what happens but hopefully all benefit Tottenham Hotspur
1: yeah, plenty of positives at uh, Tottenham at the moment. New signings, both in terms of players and then in the uh, backroom team. It's only July the first as well, so still yeah. a lot more to come over the coming weeks. I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guests. Tot- Tottenham. We'll be back next week at some point before you head off to South Korea.
0: Yes, yes, and we might be able to do one from South Korea. I Don't know how, how it will work, but we'll we'll try.
1: Yeah, you'll have to take your microphone with you then and the rest of the kit. Get that in your exactly. suitcase. And we'll like... I we not
0: actually thought about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a very fair point. I'm sure I can. I'm sure there'll be a way to do
1: it. Yeah, we'll sort some out. I don't want to get right.
0: stopped at customs trying to get into Korea and then wondering why I have
1: all this microphone equipment with me. <laughs> right, uh, we'll call it a day with today's latest episode of Golden Guest Top Tottenham. As ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.